especially those who are sensitive or empathic. Give, if you use that word, actually does mean to give. You give part of yourself. You give away your chi. If you use that word without predefining it in your own universe. So we administer treatment. We guide chi. We don't give because that's what makes people tired. Because when practitioners are tired, they're probably using that word give a lot. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Before the popular dummies and idiots guides, there was how to keep your Volkswagen alive, a manual of step-by-step procedures for the complete idiot. This book could easily have been titled The Tao of Fixin' Stuff. It was written by John Muir. No, not the naturalist John Muir, the dropped out of working as a structural engineer at the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, the John Muir. The Complete Idiot's Guide was a masterful gem that filled in the gap between what to, how to, and with the how to, including the mind and emotions of the person wiggling the wrench. It was psychedelically illustrated in a way that rhymes with the underground comics of the late 60s. It blended macro and micro in a way that satisfied the intellect, but also spoke to the soul and beyond that, to the experience any of us might have when you have an air-cooled Volkswagen in your life. Because these quirky machines require that you keep your ears tuned to the sound of the engine and your senses connected to the chassis and the wheels. Beyond the how-to of fixing what was wrong, the complete idiot's guide was an invitation to understand first how things work. How things work and how to bring your attention, mind, and senses to bear on the situation. Muir didn't just explain the mechanics. He invited you into a mindful inquiry because Volkswagen repair requires an open, flexible field of attention, along with the know-how to make the proper intervention with ratchets, torque wrenches, feeler gauges, and at times, hammers. It was not car repair by the seat of your pants, but it also required the seat of your pants, because before the how-to, you must know the what-to. And to get to the what-to, that requires attention to the present moment, along with all of the experience that you've already had in the world. You know, it's not so different from working in an acupuncture clinic. I don't remember when I let that greasy fingerprinted and dog-eared copy I had slip out of my life. I do recall it was long after I no longer drove a German-cooled vehicle. I kept it around for what he would call diagnostics, but these days would be billed as meditations. One of my favorites was on starting your car. He explained that First, you look under the vehicle to see if there's any fluids or oils, anything that might need your attention, and then to pay attention to the feeling of the door as you open it, and then notice the smell inside the car. What's the temperature like today? Is there condensation on the windows? He'd remind you that air-cooled engines need a little time to warm up and explain how oil comes from the pan below, gets pumped through the system, and how it was vital to be sure that all the parts were slippery and in rhythm before adding load to the engine. He suggested the right amount of time to warm up your car was about the time it took to roll a cigarette. I'm thinking I might need to reread this book. It was not just an operating manual for fixing cars. It was an operating manual for cultivating the most important tool used in the repair of cars. I wonder what he'd have to say about our current high-tech world that has our attention focused on little screens instead of the moment in front of us. I wonder what Mr. Murr would have to say about Chinese medicine and how our diagnostics invite discernment that does not exclude the mind of the practitioner. I find it a bit humorous that today's popular how-to guides are a riff on the complete idiot's guide, and I love how shot through the guide was with invitations for reflection and stillness as a way to approach complexity and problems, and how the mechanics interventions were inseparable 
from the mind of the mechanic. Indeed, in our practices, we must know how to, but it is the when and the what that gives life to the work that we do. As an acupuncturist, you probably already know the potency of connection that can arise when we lean on our empathy. But empathy can bring its own difficulties if we're not careful. And it's a practice that we can continually cultivate and always go a little deeper into. And things get easier when we get out of our own way, but that is easier said than done. In just a moment, we're going to discuss empathy, flow, and ease with Diane Fabian-Smith and how these innate human traits are aspects of practice worth cultivating. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. All right, friends, let's get into this discussion of Connection and Flow with Diane Fabian-Smith.
Diane Fabian Smith, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. So, one of the favorite things for me about doing the podcast is I can be hanging out with a friend or talking or whatever, maybe even on a podcast, and that person will say, Hey, do you know so and so? You should talk to them. And that's how you came to light. I believe it was our friend Cedar Kennedy. Yes, indeed. Yes. So it's always fun for me how organic this is. It's like, how do you find guests for the show? It's like, well, I just open my ears and people tell me. Yeah, you get in the flow. You get in the flow. And that's, that's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about flow, empathy. Um, one of the things, so I've got a lot of questions about empathy. Because it's one of those words I hear it thrown around a lot. And when I'm honest with myself, I sometimes wonder, what are we actually talking about? Because it seems like people have such different ideas of what empathy is. Well, in my experience, I usually define empathy as the ability to accurately determine what someone else is experiencing. And then comes the task of learning what to do with that information. So if someone is experiencing sadness, then the empath would pick up on the fact that that other person is experiencing sadness. But then it's a question of, well, now that I've picked up on that, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. But it could also be elation, joy. It could be uncertainty. It's a lot of feeling. When I think of empath, I think of feeling. You think of feeling. So it's more... From your point of view, it, it's a matter of picking up on where somebody is in their emotional experience. Yes. So here's a question I have. I, I mean, that may, first of all, that makes sense to me. And that's helpful. Thank you. One of the questions I have is how do we know when we're picking up on something that someone else is experiencing and when we're in some kind of state of maybe sympathetic arousal, or we imagine what they're feeling. And, and it's more our imagination of what's happening for somebody than what's actually happening. Does that question make sense? That's a beautiful question. I love that question. The way that you understand whether or not what you're picking up is accurate is based on how well your own instrument is in tune. So if your instrument is in tune and you are familiar with your own sense of being groundedness, flow, all those kinds of things, what you pick up on from other people, you can trust that. You understand that. You have an experience um, playing with that in your own life that you can then apply those skills in a broader perspective. If you lack that experience and you you lack, for, for better words, you haven't done your own homework, then your instrument is going to be out of tune and you'll feel that and so will the other person. So what you interpret might be inaccurate. And I suspect what the other person is feeling from you might also make you a little less trustworthy in a way. Very much. Mm -hmm. Or it might make the advice that you're offering just a little bit off. Maybe you're missing a cue that, they, that they're sending, but you're not picking up on it because you're not listening. You're not in tune. Oh, listening is so hard. No, it's easy. Really? <laughs> that's, the, that's the kicker is that it's so easy. But we have this conception that it's so hard. Okay. So tell me about listening easily then. You just let go. You let go. I think that a lot of times, um, meditation. Do you meditate, Michael? Mm. Yeah, it would be hard to get through the days without it these days. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So how many people have you talked to that you've said, oh, you know, they've talked about meditation and they say, oh gosh, that's so hard. And then you kind of chuckle to yourself because you know, actually, no, it's kind of rejuvenating and it's rather easy, actually. 
You just have to get out of your own way. So listening is kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But that getting out of your own way piece. <laughs> yes, because there's an ego involved. So a lot of times that louder voice that comes into your head, that's, that's not your in-tune instrument. That's your ego. And so you can thank it. It's trying to be helpful. Maybe, uh, maybe it's telling you some information that at one point in your life would have been useful. The way that it's interpreting the world at one point in your life served you well, but maybe not so much at the present moment. So you can think that ego voice and send it to a little, I don't know, I make a little place in my head and I just send it to this beautiful ego room where all the things that I could ever want are, all the recognition, all the the, the good poppy fun things are, because it's part of you. So, you know, you don't want to disown it or anything. You don't want to talk down to it. You want to accept it. But you can you can say thank you and go to your room. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a bad room. Not at all. Okay, it's got so everything at once. This is this is really helpful because often when I hear other people talk about ego, and even in my own experience with trying to corral that character, it's this bad thing. It's oh, you know, oh, that's just ego, right? You hear people use this like they pick up a rock and throw it at somebody. That's just ego. Right? And, and so it's very easy to have a bad opinion of the ego, even though the ego gets us to the airport on time and our hair gets cut just right because we know how to find the right person and, you know, we can feed ourselves. Thank goodness for the ego, right? Helps us navigate in the world. I love your, um, I'm going to use the word ethic here. I don't know where that's coming from, but there it is. So I'm going to say it, your ethic of appreciating the ego, giving the ego a delightful place where the ego likes to hang. Definitely. And like, th then go to your room, just like go over here. Thank you. But over here. Yes. Yes. And then you can focus. Then you can really yeah. tune in to that quieter voice. You know, sometimes people will use hierarchical words when they're talking about, oh, my higher self. Um, I tend mm. to think of it more as like a concentric rings, like the ring, the growth rings in a tree. Mm -hmm. So the closer you are to the center, the more uniform it tends to be. And then when you get to the bark, it's kind of craggy and uneven, right? So once the ego, which is closer to the outside, goes to the ego room or where, wherever, maybe it's, it's Disneyland, you know, that you're going to send the ego wherever it wants to go. Then you mm -hmm. can focus more on that internal quieter voice that's closer to the heart. Again, I'm very struck that there is in this conversation with you at this moment, there's not this sense of divide between ego and fill in the blank, whatever you want to call that more central to the core of the tree portion that they're different aspects. Mm -hmm. All are needed. All have their place. Exactly. That's very Chinese medicine, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's funny too, even with our Chinese medicine, how often, I mean, I've done this in the past. I, I, it's a practice of mine not to do this with my patients, to say Chinese medicine is this, Western medicine is that, and then draw the boundaries, this is this, this is that, and then you take sides and you have opinions. And, you know, it's, it's easy to do, but I found that that's never helpful for my patients. It's always better to take whatever they have experienced, good, bad, or indifferent, and somehow include it with appreciation. Mm -hmm. You're validating them. You're holding the space for them. And that is important. That's that's vital. That's where so much of the healing happens. I think so. Yeah. It there is something about that space. And the way that I say it is somebody says something. It might be me, it might be the patient. It doesn't matter who says it, because in a sense it's the room is saying it. And those in the room are listening. So it in a way it doesn't matter whose mouth it comes out of, so long as it gets heard. Exactly. Yes, that's right. And to tie it back into the idea of empathy and 
being able to understand what's yours and what's theirs and being able to understand how you keep your things, how they keep their things and how important that is in being the best practitioner that you can be and in having that environment be the ideal place for their session. You know, it really, that ties it in. It doesn't matter who says what, it's that that space was created. And the more grounded and the more in tuned your instrument is, the better you will be at creating that space. Yeah, that space often feels very much like an invitation. Exactly. It's open. It's easy. It is easy. It Well, I don't know about if it's easy because, you know, meditation is simple, but it's not easy. But there is a sense of ease that's present. I do know that. Yeah. So I am curious, how did you come to this path that you're on that we're able to have the conversation that we're having at this moment? <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, I started exploring things like this in the, I guess you could call it like, it's almost the equivalent of the gateway drug, but it's the gateway energy work that everyone kind of mm. dabbles in. You know, I, mm -hmm. just after college, I started getting into Reiki and what that was. And, oh, that was such a cool thing. And to experience that. And so that was what, 21 years ago. Mm -hmm. 22 it was a while ago and since then just increasing awareness and fine-tuning that instrument doing my own homework and also having compassion and, and understanding that having compassion means that I maintain my groundedness but that I'm offering that um, place of support for others without getting pulled into their their vortex if you will yes it can really be a whirlwind. It can. And a lot of practitioners that I talk to, providers that I talk to in various fields, you can tell when they, the, when the provider lacks a sense of a fine-tuned instrument, when they lack a sense of um, like those energetic boundaries and filters that help keep you grounded and help keep those things in their place. My things stay with me. My patients' things stay with them. Um, because they talk about, it's the words they use. Words are so important. They use words like, oh, that patient really drained me. Or um, they start showing up with the same pathology that their patient had. Maybe they treated someone with a backache and then they ended up getting a backache the next day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a valuable thing to know about these ideas of groundedness exploring the self, being a fine-tuned instrument, staying in the flow, being easy, keeping it fun. I really appreciate the metaphor of a fine-tuned instrument because fine-tuned instruments not only have the sound that's made by playing them, but they also pick up sound that's in the room and, and will just naturally begin to resonate with it a bit. That's right. So it, it, it's a two-way thing. They're, they're, it's both a transmitter but it's also kind of a receiver. Absolutely. And so the more in tune you are, the more you can pick up when your surroundings are also in tune or not. If someone talks to you and they're saying something and it does not resonate with you, you will feel it. And then you will ask yourself, well, what about that didn't resonate? You navigate the conversation or the topic a little bit differently. It might bring you to a different understanding of who you're talking to that's beneficial or a different understanding of yourself <laughs> that's beneficial. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory 
practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. What you just said, who they might be talking to. I, I think I've, I know I've seen this in my, in my practice at times, where they're, they're talking to me, but I, it feels like they're talking through a filter of somebody else to me. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe I represent somebody to them or I represent something. Often our patients will look at us because we represent a kind of a hope, especially the ones who say, I've been everywhere and you're my last, you know, you're my last hope. Right there, those folks are really talking through a filter to us. Absolutely. But when you're in tune and then you're having this authentic dialogue with this patient. And when you're saying things because you're in tune that resonate so strongly with them because you're resonating together in a healthy, good way, then that facade drops in a second. The facade is there as a protection for them because they've been dealing with people who don't resonate with them, who are not good, grounded people who are in tune. That's where that filter comes from. It's a protective thing for them. And so in a way, and I think this is true, and I think it's a good idea that our patients do this. They're testing us. They want to see if we are reliable. This, I mean, this isn't a bad thing. This is, is it safe here? That's right. Yes. Can I heal here? Can I heal here? Can I bring my whole self here? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Will this practitioner meet me where I am and therefore be able to um, guide me through my healing process the best? Will they meet me? Will they hold the space? Will they meet me or are they going to tell me to do yoga and stop eating gluten? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know. That might be what they need. Well, it might be. But you'll be able to feel if that's appropriate for them. Yes. Yeah. And some patients ask. I feel like they're asking for it as well. well what what should I be doing? Mm-hmm. And I, and so often I feel like that is a double-edged sword. On one hand, they really are looking for help with what should I be doing. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, um, how do I phrase this? They're looking to see if we're going to come up with something besides the usual things they've already tried and failed with. Correct. And I find... Or... Or one more thing, I hate to interrupt, but I want to get this in so I don't forget. Or they've got something and they really don't want to change it, but they absolutely need to. (laughs) And they're they're working every way around. I I can give you an example, okay? Uh, A patient of mine, I just love her dearly. She's such a character. And uh, she just eats crap. Mm Mm-hmm. It is, it's such a sense of comfort to just eat what the hell she wants to eat. Mm-hmm. But it is the thing that's causing her trouble. And she's tried this and that in this blood test and that <laughs> medication and this enzyme and that <laughs> magic pill and acupuncture. And, but really, it's like diet soda. You just got to kiss a goodbye. Well, and it's also coming to an understanding that when someone's eating that way, it's not about the food. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's missing the forest for the trees. It's on a deeper level. It's because they're trying, like you said, it's a comfort. So why do they need comfort? Do they need therapy? Is there something deeper that they need addressed? But when patients, when you're in tune and a patient comes to you who's like that, those suggestions come in. They will come to you because you're you're in the flow. Yeah, you're... <laughs> I don't know, Dan Bensky, your tongue, your, your, you know what I mean? Tongue, yes, yes, tongue. You're, you're in the flow, you, you got it. And so a lot of times if, if the suggestion that you're making is coming up against resistance from them, it's because, well, maybe there's a different angle. Maybe there's something else that needs to come through for them that's trying to come through, but it can't because that 
maybe it's just one string on the piano that's just out of tune a little bit. And if that one string got in there, then boom, it would be there. I'm glad we're having this conversation just in talking about it with you in the way that, that you suggested, oh, it's, it's about comfort. There's something here about comfort. I miss that. Mm-hmm. I get it that it's important to her. I get it. I totally get it. But in having this conversation in this moment, I realize that I could very gently inquire into comfort. That's beautiful. Wonderful. And see what else is there for her. Yes. And also, I think by learning uh, resonance and groundedness as a provider, it allows us to bring that to the patient. Because, I mean, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if more people in general learned how to tune into their own resonance? Absolutely. Wow, that's a shift. Well, this is what we look to do with our medicine, mm-hmm. right? We're not looking to make people dependent on acupuncture. We are looking to help them complete some work, in a sense, or find some resources that are present but not connected to. Correct. Help them connect and then like go on your way. Mm-hmm. And yes, helping people with their own inquiry around this, I think could be very helpful. Now, I I want to pivot, not really pivot, but maybe shift just a little bit. This is some tender territory. I am, I say this jokingly, I am accused of being a psychotherapist all the time. I am not a psychotherapist. <laughs> people, but people say, you're like the best psychotherapist I've ever had. And, I, and I'm like, honey, you need to find a better psychotherapist, trust me. <laughs> that said, mm-hmm. because we want to understand our patients, mind, body, spirit, because if we have a sense of who they are and what they need and we can help them get it, then they can heal. It's usually psychotherapists that enters some of this domain that we also work within, but we're not psychotherapists. So I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts about working those edges there because we are treading in similar waters. Yes, yeah, so wouldn't it be nice to be part of a team? We don't need to tread those waters solo. So very good to know good psychotherapists in your area who specialize in certain topics that you can refer patients to, but also explaining, I mean, and I don't, in my practice, I don't actually shy away from using the term East Asian medicine or Chinese medicine or whatnot, because I I tend to think of it as a team with Western medicine. It's not separate. Mm -hmm. It's together. They're just in different places or looking at it from a different perspective, but they're both valid. So how can you have ideas like the Hun and the Shen and not talk about emotion. Of course. Right? So, I mean, it's part of the medicine. It's part of what's there for us to cover. But I do think that if someone needs therapy, they should go see a psychotherapist. How do you find a good one? Talk to them. (laughs) Vet them. (laughs) And, um, you know, also maybe walking people through their process of what it might be like to go and see a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, that the, I don't know if anybody has read the the book, The Body Keeps the Score, but it's a great book. I've heard of it. I can't remember. This is about trauma. The, it is. Is he from the Netherlands or something like that? Something like that. It's really well written. Yeah. And he did a podcast with Krista Tippett on, um, on being, I think, from December 2020. Really cool. Great listen. Mm. But you can talk people through what an experience should be like seeing a psychotherapist who's actually helping them instead of somebody who's re-traumatizing them or somebody who's saying, you have to see me for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I think the more therapists that we talk to as acupuncturists, then the more of a sense we get of, okay, who's with it, who gets it, and who's actually helping people, and who is not quite in tune yet. Yeah, I I do have a uh, small handful of people that I refer to. I'm, I'm familiar with their work. Well, I'm not familiar with their work. I'm familiar with them as human beings. Exactly. And so I consider them trustworthy with their work. Yes, that's right. Because it should be one and the same. So there's something 
a little bit inviting about being invited into those, let's say, more intimate emotional aspects of our patient. And, and again, this is, you know, psychotherapists do this, acupuncturists do this. Ethics really comes into play here, of course. Of course, absolutely. And this idea, I heard you talking about boundaries and filters. Yeah. As, as part of navigating and using uh, the finely tuned instrument of your empathy. That's right. Heart, for that matter. <laughs> so boundaries and filters around, let's say, charged emotional content. How, again, we're, we're not psychotherapists, but we're working in this realm. Yes. How can, have you got some suggestions for how we can orient, know that we're on some, let's say, within our wheelhouse that we're working and, and maybe some warning signals that say, oh, we need to bring somebody else in to, to do this piece of the work? Let's see. For me, it, I hate to sound so repetitious, but um, it comes down to being in tune so, and being grounded. So if someone's sharing um, a very uh, deep or personal emotional experience that they've had, and I'm, if, if I were to be at all sucked into their emotional experience, I would not have the perspective to offer guidance. I usually recommend that someone seek counseling, you know, if I think sooner rather than later. Because I know that my job as an acupuncturist is I have other things that I'd like to do with them. And I know that the psychotherapist can focus on that part. So if someone has an emotional breakthrough, then I, I could suggest at that point even, hey, have you considered counseling? It seems that there's a lot here to unpack. And oftentimes, if I'm in alignment, if I'm in tune, that suggestion will be met well. And we'll start looking into it. And then at the next appointment, they'll say, hey, you know, maybe they didn't make an appointment with a counselor or a psychotherapist yet, but they looked them up. They started their process. They're starting to go there. And the door is opening in their mind that it's something that they can use and benefit from. And at the same time, the acupuncture can help to relieve and connect and guide their body towards that opening. This to me is one of the most curious and mysterious things to me about acupuncture. I remember going to study it 25 years ago-ish at this point. Like, I think I'm going to study this stuff because like, what the hell is going on here? Right, having been a patient, like what is going on with this? All this time, now I'm further down the road, I thought I'd know a lot more about how this stuff works than I do. It's very, very surprising to me how to this day when people ask me like, what are these needles doing? I'm always surprised to see what I say because it's often, it changes over time. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me at this point that the way that it works is that there are resources that we have within us. And around us, yeah. Ooh, and around us. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell me a little more about around us. Well, you know, there's the idea of chi in the body, but we also know that there's chi in the environment, right? So we're talking about anything from nature to the families that we live in and the people that we're connected to. Absolutely. And also, you know, kind of think of it like... um it doesn't even have to be chi that's manifested into anything yet. It could be like stem cell chi. <laughs> you know, like it's, but it's present, right? Because there's nothing around us. I mean, there's there's stuff around us all the time. The, the space is full. We just can't see it. Mm -hmm. We haven't invented the instruments to be able to pick up on it yet, but it's there. I hadn't thought of stem cell chi, but I... <laughs> I like the idea. That's That sounds like something fun to play with. Isn't it though? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me at this point, what I've been looking at is only what's within the patient. Mm. I've just been looking at what's within the patient. I think about how much of our experience, the beating of our heart, 
the peristalsis of our intestines, the secretions of our pancreas, the way our blood vessels know to dilate or, or loosen to maintain pressure. There's all this stuff completely unconscious. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and I mean, you can't even bring your consciousness to it if you wanted to. I mean, maybe if you're like a very adept meditator, you could. Exactly. But by and large. There you go. There's the tie-in. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I've noticed about acupuncture is that it tends to connect with that stuff mm-hmm. that is way, 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 way out of awareness. Yeah. And and like the breath, and of course, you know, chi is often translated as breath. You could say that. The breath is the one aspect of our physiology that we do have a bit of agency over. True. If we bring our attention to it. And so it seems to me that acupuncture is by and large working at this very unconscious level of being. And there are resources there. And people are often so surprised to be hooked up with that. They often say things like, wow, what did you put in? And it's like, I didn't put anything in. I put nothing in. We have just called something out. This is you. Yes. People are, they're very astounded to hear that. Well, and in some ways, I I also kind of think of, because the needles are like a little, they're like a little conduit. They're like a little channel. And they're helping to make connections. They're helping to guide things where, they need to be where they've been trying to get to, but gosh, they just, they, they either forgot how to do it um, or maybe <laughs> the, the road fell down, you know, and they can't get across the bridge anymore, or, you know, however you want to think about it. But, you know, I think of the, there are a lot of diagrams in Asian culture where you have the idea of the human being the bridge between the quote unquote heavens and the earth. And, yes. And there's that idea in, in also of there being, um, like a macrocosm and a microcosm. So how could we think of the ne- the little needle, the microcosm, as anything but a reflection of that macrocosm? Does that make sense? I like thinking about the needle as the Ren in TND Ren. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> like, like, like the person aspect, the human aspect <laughs> between... The outer and the inner, the above and the below. Yeah, it's a helper. Uh huh. Okay, I want to come back to my question. I and I, it has like slipped out of my mind where we were headed with that. Because <laughs> I was talking about chi in the body, and you said that there was chi everywhere. Which, yes, of course, that's true. Maybe that question will come back around here in a moment. Well, and it's what the acupuncture is doing. Yeah. So I'd like to get your sense of what the acupuncture is doing, because again. I feel like I'm such a student of it, and I wished I understood it better. I've been at it 25 years, and it's so weird because I thought I'd know a lot more than I do by now. And it's still a very mysterious process to me, this acupuncture. Well, isn't that nice? Does everything have to be precisely defined? Hmm. That's a good question, isn't it? It's a great question. Does it have to be precisely defined? Well, okay, so there's the ego in the ego room that's going, well, yeah, duh, what do you think I'm here for? So here's here's my question to you. If you look at an absolutely stunning sunset and it touches your core, mm. does it make the sunset any more stunning if you're trying to describe it to someone else, maybe who's sitting next to you? Do you need to actually describe that stunning sunset to them? Or can you both just look at it and have that experience? Yeah. So here's the problem with language. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to describe it. That's right. You can talk around (laughs) it. You can pull bits and pieces of it. (laughs) That's right. You can look at it from the perspective of science and light rays going through the atmosphere. Or you could look at it from the perspective of an artist and say, oh, there's some burnt umber in there. Or... this is why poetry is so helpful, because it uses words in a loose enough way to give you a glimpse beyond them. Right. But it's not going to change the experience of... No, it doesn't. No. In fact, it, it will take you out of the experience. Exactly. Now you're... Yes, that's right. Yeah. It'll take you out of the experience. That's right. So we're back to Tong, and we're 
you know, in some other phrases that you may be familiar with, like shape of chi. Oh, right. Yes. And, um, and just presence, just quiet presence. Yes. Yes. And I feel like, I feel like it's something that isn't like that we need to discuss as, as a community more. I don't, I don't feel like it's something that we dialogue about enough. Like in school, nobody taught me about this kind of thing. And it would be so helpful. I feel like all the new practitioners coming out, wouldn't it be nice if they had an established resonance within themselves, the sense of groundedness that would allow them to create this space for their patients who are going to come and see them. Mm. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. So here's another word that I find I trip over a lot. Grounded. Mm. I, I hear it a lot. I hear it a lot. And, and there's a part of me that gets it. And there's a part of me that I, I can be an experience and I'm, and I'm like deep still water. Yes. And, and I, I, you know, you could, you could say that's being, that's an expression of groundedness, I guess you could say. It's, an, it's one expression of groundedness. But this is one of those words that I hear it a lot. And I often will nod my head like, yes, of course, groundedness. And then there's this other part of me going like, what the hell are they talking about? It's you know, a little bit like empathy. Oh, yeah, right. Empathy. Like, what the hell are we actually talking about? Because in order to have compassion for other people and to be able to understand the emotions that you might be picking up on from someone else, you have to have that sense of deep, still water. You have to have mm -hmm. that sense of centeredness and for some people, that's groundedness. You know, if your constitution is earth, the sense of groundedness will resonate with you. If your constitution is water, a sense of deep, still water will resonate with you. If your constitution is wood, the center of a big old growth tree will resonate with you. <laughs> yes, yes. And around this circle we go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I did skip metal. It's okay. <laughs> And I didn't touch on fire, but now I did. Well, I'm I'm a bit more on the metal side, but I just use that water metaphor. <laughs> it's so, very nurturing of you. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. So it, well, you know, I mean, it might be that you need to go to the element that you're strong in, or it might be that you need to go to an element that the energy is moving toward. There's just different ways to find that. Yeah, that that. This is really helpful. Yeah, follow your resonance, follow your joy, follow follow your resonance. Should be easy. Stop trying so hard. Uh-huh. Okay. So this is another piece. And in the old osteopaths talk about this a lot. Right? Especially the, the cranial people. They talk about moving in the direction of ease. Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The old osteopaths. <laughs> You know, they put their hands on people's, you know, cranial bones and wiggle things around a bit, or they put their hands on a joint. They, I, I've heard them talk about, you don't try to push it or force it into anything. 
you move in the direction of ease to see where it wants to go so that it can complete its motion. And then once something has completed its motion, it will naturally release and there'll be like a reciprocal movement in the other direction. Well, that sounds so nice, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And in some ways, it kind of reminds me of acupuncture. It can. I know that at times when I thought about using acupuncture and practiced it for that matter, it's like, oh, there's this thing I see and it should be different and I'm going to screw these needles in and make it different. (laughs) Right. Except that we can't forcibly change someone else's body because it's, it's their domain. It's their place. It's not our place to try to force a change. So that's why I think what you said about the asukas is so elegant. We're listening to where their body needs to go and we're guiding. We're guiding. And not giving. Please, please, people, be aware of the word give. So many people use that word inappropriately. Now tell us more about that. Especially those who are sensitive or empathic. Yeah, empathic. Give, if you use that word, actually does mean to give. You give part of yourself. You give away your chi. If you use that word without predefining it in your own universe. So we administer treatment. We guide chi. We don't give because that's what makes people tired. Because when practitioners are tired, they're probably using that word give a lot or something similar. Mm-hmm. Or they're of the idea that, oh, if I take things that are difficult and I take them on for my patient, I will help them instead of empowering the patient to resolve their own issues and having the patient recognize that they can actually heal, which is so much, it's just healthier for everybody than feeling the need to take it on. This is really, really important. This is a lesson that took me a long time to learn. I used to think I was a better practitioner. If someone came in and they were putting, say, 10% of the energy into the relationship, Mm -hmm. I'd show up with 80, and I'd be exhausted by the end of the day, and it never helped the patients. Exactly, yes. In fact, I was stealing the opportunity for them to heal themselves. That's right. And I was tired at the end of the day. Absolutely, yes. So you have firsthand knowledge of that, yes. Yes. And so we're back to that resonant tuned instrument that if someone shows up with 15%, I can show up with, I can show up with an energetic match. Exactly. A resonant match. There might be a lot of space in between us. Ah, space. It, yes. Feels good. Feels easy. We're back to ease. I, I, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And, and I remember at the beginning of this conversation going, e- you know, easy, you know, meditation, easy. Now it's actually, uh, you know, simple, not easy. But as we're having this conversation, I am cottoning a bit more to following that sense of ease and, and even more, leaving it open as a possibility. Yes. What if we, what if we worked in a way that we followed the ease and allowed it? Okay, so here's my... Uh, Here's the thing behind ease for me. This is great. I should be paying you for a session. (laughs) (laughs) The thing thing behind ease for me is that if you're not working hard, you're not actually working. Oh, but isn't that a silly thought? It is. To think that we're never enough, to think that we need to be working in order to be worth anything. How silly is that? It comes with the inherent understanding that we have value just being here. That we have a purpose just being here without needing to do anything. That we're enough in who we are. That sounds like a powerful presence to take into a treatment room. Well, and and it comes from a place of non-judgment, and it comes from a place of resonance and ease, welcoming. So for those who might be listening that are a little similar to me, I have to work hard. I got I to gotta push on things to make it happen. I got to be the person in charge of, ooh, here's, here's one. I got to be the person in charge of making sure this person gets better. Ooh, you just took the power right away from them. 
Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It does. Wow. How come they won't get better? Well, maybe maybe I'm not letting them get better. <laughs> it keeps them coming back every week. <laughs> but there are so many more people that you could help. Right? There's only one of you, Michael. Yes. Gosh, yes. if somebody comes back to see you every week, hmm, that's kind of limiting the number of people you could you could you could guide, you could assist. Oh, ab- absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at myself of here at this because, because, and it is fun to play along and, and do this playfully. I, I feel like this is a very playful conversation. We're embodying this sort of playfulness and ease that, that you're talking about, which is wonderful. So thank you. Well, there's no other way to be. It's just the way. Well, I mean, there are other ways to be, but we will suffer for it. Exactly. And who wants to suffer? My goodness. Well... It's a badge of honor for some of us. <laughs> it's nice to reduce suffering as much as possible, I think. I like that idea as well. And I was going to say this in kind of a snarky way. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to not say it in a snarky way. I'll bring the snark- for those who think, For those who think that suffering, how do I say this? There's, it's like there's a real edge to suffering. You can feel very alive when you're suffering. There's a lot going on. That's true. But the aliveness that you feel through suffering pales in comparison to the aliveness that you feel through connection. And when you feel connected, the suffering just can't. It just can't. It sounds so easy when I'm talking to you. So I want to come, I want to circle back to safety here. Right? I'm using, I'm using my own instrument here in this conversation just like I do in my clinical practice. And um, we were talking about the filters and the boundaries mm-hmm. that, that help to create a sense of safety. I'm, well, I'm, wait, I, I'm, I'm putting the word safety in there. That's right. Yes. So I want to talk about safety. I want to talk about being a practitioner and being a human being with all of our vulnerabilities and brilliances and hurts and insights and, you know, the whole the whole enchilada, the work we do is very vulnerable. We invite people into being vulnerable. And, and we ourselves in, that, in those moments, uh, to be open and to really listen to our patients and to be present enough to hear the room, uh, there, there, there's a vulnerability there and a sense of wanting to feel safe. Because I think all humans are looking for a sense of safety. It's very important. True. I think that, wow, there's so much to unpack there. Um, I think it's, I I can understand the idea of safety for the patient because they're coming into the practitioner's space. It's the practitioner that sets the space. The idea of safety for the practitioner, I mean, things are only deemed. So if you're bringing up safety you have to also understand that at the same time, you're bringing up an idea of danger. Otherwise, there would not be a need to discuss safety. Correct? Yes. And so when I, when I say safety here, let me, let me go a little more into that. Um, I'm going to call it the maybe not yet digested experiences that we have that get in the way. Like, and you mentioned this earlier, it's like, are you, do you have a sense of that you're good enough? Do you have a sense of that you Um, How do I say this? Yeah, am I a good enough practitioner? Am I a good enough business person? Am I going to be able to help this person? What's this person going to say about, you know, my practice and my services? I I think there's a lot of thoughts that go through our minds. Right, and all of those thoughts are completely unnecessary for treatment. Agreed. All of those thoughts are just getting in the way of that resonance. And they're taking that in-tuned instrument and making it more and more out of tune with each thought. Am I good? Yes, absolutely. Because we are who we need to be at that moment. We're all showing up at our best every moment of every day. No questions asked. Okay. So if you're not yet at the place of no questions asked. That's something that people, um, and this is where it comes back to the school aspect. It really should be part of school. It's like learning how to insert needles in a way that avoids harming other people, this should be part of what is taught. 
how can you how can you send someone out into a treatment room without knowing these things without having them at least be mildly foundational do you see well i know that we talk about cultivation <laughs> as part of our medicine and that is an essential thing we have to understand something of medicine we have to understand something of ourselves we have to understand something of the world that we live in we need to be well-rounded people. But when you're setting an environment, like you said, that can be one of vulnerability, it ups the ante a little bit for those practitioners. There is a standard that should be there, a, a proficiency that should be there, you know, to hold that space for others mm -hmm. and to be able to hold it competently. And so if the schools are teaching this, what, what would they be teaching? I think they would need to open this dialogue box up that we've opened up today mm. and doing things like meditation as a requirement and doing things like exploring resonance as a requirement. How do you explore what that means to you, to each person? I'd like to hear a little more about exploring resonance. Ooh. Uh, well, let's see. Well, resonance feels very good. Things resonate with you. It feels good. It's that song where it's the perfect chord change. And it just mm -hmm. tickles the core of you to hear it every time the song comes on. Or like I mentioned before, it's seeing that absolutely gorgeous sunset. Usually there are things that, that don't involve words. It's smelling the most delicious food and tasting it. My yes. Oh, yes. Or it's, it's, it's uh, an embrace from someone that you feel a deep connection to, that resonance. So let's see here. These conversations often get a little bit tricky for me because as I'm listening to you and I'm attending to my own experience, words become more difficult to grasp. And we're here on a podcast, so I need to use words. <laughs> so um, to describe resonance, whew. A sense of completion, a sense of connectedness. And, and by connectedness, I mean that that sense of you are all that you need to be in that moment. There's nothing that you want. There's no, no monkey brain. There's no thoughts outside of that moment. It's just bliss. That's resonance. Mm -hmm. So two things float to my mind about this. And the first one is as a practice for myself, attending to the experience that's not verbal and in language, the smell of the flower, the feel of the wind, what the temperature's like, the, you know, the humidity, you step outside, ooh, it's that humidity. Oh, the sun has this certain kind of golden silver color. It must be around noontime. You know, that, those kinds of things, mm -hmm. right? The, like embodying the sensuous. Very, me. yes. Yeah like embodying the sensuous. So that, that sounds like a great practice and I'm happy to do that and I'm capable of it. That, that sounds wonderful. Oh, I get to embody more, you know, just attend more to the sensuousness of the world and that will help me be a better practitioner. Great, I can do that. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm on board. That sounds easy. You seem so excited about it. It's wonderful. <laughs> and the other thing that you said is this part that comes up when we're in clinic, the words that say, I want. Mm-hmm. And that if I'm in a session with a patient or having an argument with my wife or having a discussion over dinner, <laughs> it could be anywhere, mm -hmm. and, and notice that, that little subtext of, well, I want, mm -hmm. I want this patient to be better, I want this to go this way, you know, blah, 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 it doesn't matter what it is. But to catch, I want, and, and just pause. Yes. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I want, Okay. And pause and just whatever comes up, just hold it lightly. That's yes, that lightness, the ease. Yes, there it is again. Yeah. Okay. So it's like I've got a new day to day living mantra kind of thing. I can just watch for the I want and, and just be attentive. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it sound fun? It does sound fun. And totally doable? Completely doable. Yeah. There, there's that ease that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's not, 
it's the opposite of, oh, here it comes and I've got to do something about that. I've got to send it to its room. I have to block it out. I have to get beyond that. It's all kinds of things other than, oh, just attend to that. Oh, there it is again. Hmm. Yep. Lovely. Just let it flow. Well, you sound like a Chinese medicine practitioner. <laughs> we're, I mean, we're back to Tong, right? We're back to Tong, open. Tong, tong is an interesting word because it, it means open, but it also means to communicate. Uh, oh, well, hey, there you, that's very appropriate then, isn't it? It also means to communicate. <laughs> so there we go. Oh, that's such a nice way to like wrap everything up. Oh, it is. Nice? Yeah. Diane, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind this down for today? Not that I can think of. I think it's been exactly what it needs to be. I think it's a fine place then. Yes. Well, thank you so much for this time today. It has been it's been fun. It's been playful. It's been explorative. And, and I hope all of you listening out there have found this to be uh, a pleasant way to spend an hour. Thank you, Michael. It's been a joy. One of my constant inquiries in practice is when I'm actually listening to the patient and when I'm listening to my own internal dialogue of who I think the patient might be. In some ways, this is the essence of being human, sorting out the world as it is from the world as we imagine it to be. I very much appreciated Diane's perspective on using ourselves as a finely tuned instrument to attend to the resonance of an encounter and to attend to those moments of ease and congruence as they arise. I hope that you found today's conversation to be worth your time and attention and that it gives you some perspectives that you can lean on in your clinical work. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.